Hey, Greg, how are you doing, buddy? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm really grateful that you uh, you came here and we're going to chat a bit and it's going to be a whole bunch of fun. So um, what's what's new with you? <laughs> well, I, you know, it, it feels like deja vu here in January 2022, but, uh, you know, keeping keeping uh, my head on and putting one foot in front of the other, staying in recovery and trying to do the next right thing best I can. A, 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 a recipe for getting on through. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, We're looking, looking for more brighter days uh, yeah. in the near future, hopefully. Right on. Oh, they're here. They're here. And you, you, you help make days brighter for all of us, man. And we're going to talk about that uh, in just a minute. So, hey, who are you? <laughs> well, I, I am Greg Williams. I'm a person in long-term recovery. Uh, and, and for me, that means that, you know, today I'm, you know, a father and, and a husband and, and the person that I um, look at in the mirror that, you know, I like the person that I am today. And, and that wasn't, that wasn't always uh, my experience in my life. Um, but uh, yeah, I, um, there's a lot in that question <laughs> that we can unpack as, as, as you wish. Right on, right on. Greg Williams person thriving in, 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 in long-term recovery. I can, I, I can relate. I can relate. There, there was a time I did not like the feller that I saw in the mirror. And, and part of my recovery definition today is while I'm not exactly in love with the fellow in the mirror, he's, he's, he's all right. I'm okay with that. So you're, you're a, let's, let's talk about how we met and in North Carolina, yeah, so I um, I had an opportunity to <clears throat> go on a fact-finding mission about the new recovery advocacy movement um, and, and pulling together an independent film called The Anonymous People. And, uh, and I just, I wanted to capture people doing recovery organizing work, uh, you know, and how they did it in, in, in a format that that um, in the media format that I grew passionate about as, as a young person. And um, I was blessed to be able to uh, finish uh, the anonymous people. And when that came out, it became um, a, a really strong vehicle for, for recovery organizations. Mm. And so um, you all invited me down to, to Raleigh to the capital area. And, you know, here I am this behind the scenes producer and you want me to stand on a stage and, and give a, <laughs> give a rah-rah, you know, political speech. And so, <laughs> you know, terribly uncomfortable for me, but, but no. I had a lot of fun uh, with the folks in North Carolina and, and uh, you know, it's, it's doing probably the most uncomfortable thing that people ask me to do, which is, you know, large outdoor rallies with a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> not, not my thing. You did, you did great. And, and, and it really helped us to, um, to organize what is is now still a statewide recovery community organization. I still remember being a peer at a long-term social model residential recovery facility, sitting at a case management desk and watching just the trailer. Our numbers are unbelievably strong, but yet we have no voice. 
we know about every issue out there, but people don't know how important the issue of recovery is. As a person in long-term recovery from an illness that has no cure, but an illness that has a solution. If we could ever tap those 20 million people in long-term recovery, you'd change this overnight. Now is my turn. Just the trailer. And I know that y'all put a lot of something, something into just the trailer because uh, just those couple minutes, I still remember the goosebumps that I got on my arm at that desk. Um, I, I think things opened up for me and I ended up using the, just the trailer a lot in a lot of my education, but we, um, we use the anonymous people in North Carolina as, as an organizing tool throughout the state. And, and it, I think it made short work of of creating communities of recovery throughout the state. I'm deeply grateful for for you. And as we started promoting recovery high schools in the state, another one of the stories you told is um, Generation Found. And uh, I'm really super excited about the new film we'll talk about in, in just a minute. So you're a person in long-term recovery. And that doesn't, you know, we don't really have a, a shared definition. Uh, I, I have, I mean, many of us rally behind the SEMTA definition right now in, in the ecumenical recovery culture, but what does recovery mean to you? Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's been evolutionary, um, you know, process, uh, you know, for me, I think it, and it gets deeper. I mean, evolutionary just means it just gets deeper and deeper, um, over time, you know, it's, um, when I first entered into a residential program, you know, I didn't, I didn't want recovery. I didn't, I wasn't seeking recovery. I was kind of scared into uh, seeking treatment um, by, you know, fear of law enforcement repercussions and family obligations and, and whatnot. And I, um, you know, it wasn't until, you know, 15, 20 days kind of removed from, from chemicals that I, um, started to like realize, like, I didn't really like the person looking in the mirror and, and, uh, you know, and that I didn't really want to live like that, but I didn't know, you know, what, what I wanted to live like. I, um, so, um, I, uh, you know, today, you know, recovery is kind of at its core for me, the freedom to, to pursue who I am and who I want to be. Um, because I think addiction and, um, you know, kind of gated that off for me and, and, uh, you know, it it really opened me up back to the ability to, to unlock that. And then, you know, at a really deep level where a lot of people, unfortunately don't even, whether they're not in recovery or never struggle with substances, a lot of people never really get that opportunity to kind of, you know, take inventory and, and, and really take stock about, who you are and who you want to be and uh, what you're about. Wow. I love it. You prefaced it with it, it's been an evolution, but right now recovery is the freedom uh, uh, to discover who I am and pursue who I want to be. Uh, I love that. Uh, and you tied it into honestly, the universal human experience and not everybody, whether they are experiencing chaotic relationships with substances or not really gets the time and space or the wherewithal of the support to do that. So 
That's great. I dig it. Recovery is, um, it's a beautiful thing. I share that with you. Uh, my, my, uh, definition or my understanding or, or what recovery means to me has evolved tremendously over the last 17 years. But, but now I, I often use the word freedom. It gets thrown out there a lot, freedom and wellness connection, stuff like that. Cool. Well, Greg, um, you, you've, you, you're discovering who you are and who you want to be. What do you do? What's your, what's your passion right now, man? What's, what's, what's your gig? What's your passion work? Um, what, what are you up to? I, I think I start to consider myself, you know, narrow, but deep in, in two areas. And, and, uh, and I kind of, you know, like that, you know, in some respects, but um, you know, the, the area that people know about me is the film stuff, but the, the area that I, I spend a lot of time right now is, is, uh, in healthcare financing and, mm. and really trying to, um, go after, you know, how we, how and why, and we buy, you know, the health services for people across the continuum of addiction and recovery, um, and, and how that should be restructured and reframed, um, because, you know, the fee for service construct of, you know, you go to inpatient, you go to outpatient, you go to recovery coaching, you know, and, and then the insurance company or Medicaid plan or state government strokes a check, you know, transactionally based on volume. Um, it doesn't align well with, frankly, anybody's definition of recovery in different domains of uh, wellness and, and, and whatnot. But in other areas of healthcare, we've seen the payers start to evolve and, and buy health services in a more holistic, um, more aligned way to recovery. But that's, you know, for other illnesses like cancer or heart mm -hmm. disease or other things, they're buying things in a holistic way because buying services and a fee for service doesn't make sense for those chronic illnesses either. No. And, and so we're not that different, um, with substance use disorder. And, and so we're trying to get people to start, um, behaving that way. And so I, I lead, um, an organization called, uh, the Alliance for Addiction Payment Reform. And, and, uh, we, um, we work on incentivizing recovery, not relapse, uh, is, is our tagline. And, uh, and so that's what I do, um, uh, kind of, uh, in one part of my life. And then the other passionate part of my life is, is, uh, developing films with, with a guy named Jeff Riley, who, um, has been my, uh, creative partner through, um, basically every, uh, major film project I've, yeah. I've been involved in. Um, so he, John, edited. John and Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, Jeff uh, edited the Anonymous People and directed Generation Found, and now he's directed uh, Tipping the Pain Scale. But mm. I've, I've got the opportunity to serve as the producer. Great things. Well, I, I very much support our transitioning both treatment and recovery supports and payment to more of a chronic illness recovery management model. I'm a person who lives with uh, high blood pressure and asthma. And I know how I, 
readily access the continuing uh, recovery supports and pharmacotherapeutic supports for those. And, uh, and I know how different it is for folks experiencing substance use disorder, the barriers that exist for them and how despite decades of, of knowledge and experience we and, and our rhetoric, we still seem to approach it with an acute care model of treatment and incarceration. And I'm really glad that you're doing that, that, that strong work of promoting uh, um, chronic illness recovery management, value-based outcomes, and really holding payers uh, accountable to, to, to making more sense and how they pay for our, uh, our wellness. There's so many of us. There are so many of us that yeah. experience this. It's it's not even just the right thing to do. It's it's actually the economically. Uh, <laughs> it's actually in everybody's deeply entrenched special interest economic best yep. practice. Like you know, across the board. Across yeah, governments yep. and payers and employers and all the people yep. who fund our our you know patchwork healthcare system <laughs> that exists. Uh, if you can call it a system, but yeah. But, it's in everybody's financial best interest Indeed. to align how they purchase the services uh, with the patient's wellness and, and the patient's outcomes, because um, we'd be a lot more efficient with the dollars that we spend, you know, cause I, you know, I, I had a colleague, uh, Jim Hood, who, you know, in, in uh, the nonprofit um, world, he used to say, you know, like treating addiction the way that we do today it's like a two, like if we just close the addiction treatment gap, the 90% treatment gap for 38 million people um, in, in today's model, um, it's a $2 trillion problem. It's a $2 trillion solution. And, and, and unfortunately, nobody's got the appetite, uh, you know, to just like stroke a $2 trillion check to, no. to, 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 the, I mean, if, if this particular model was working and, and we had, you know, the, the empirical evidence that it was working, um, people, people might be willing to, but, but in this day and age, unfortunately, we, we just, we can't justify a $2 trillion investment in, in, no. in, in the, the uh, ecosystem that, that exists today. We would be investing in a flawed and fractured ecosystem, uh, also within a pathology that has a behavioral component with so much moral entanglement. So, yeah, folks don't have the wherewithal to close that 90% access gap. But maybe the work that you're doing will help us to... Uh, help us to get there from the get-go, honestly, with the anonymous people raising the profile of recovery, addressing the stigma surrounding addiction, organizing, mobilizing communities to get this work done. And then you working in the working in the policy and payer space now. So you, you, you've evolved in your work in how you're attacking this issue. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's circumstances in life, or, you know, for every door that gets closed in your life, another door opens. It's, it's really interesting how yes. things play out. I mean, that's like to go way back that my first foray in all of this was, you know, a woman named Donna Alagata invited me to tell my story at the state legislature in Connecticut. And, and I went and I was 18 or 19 or something and told my story of, of recovery. And my dad was there and, you know, the news, the Hartford Current, the big newspaper in Connecticut comes up to me and says, you know, hey, can we can we write a story about you in the in the Hartford Current? And I was like, 
sure, you, you just can't use my last name you know? And, uh, and this is back in like the early 2000s. Yep. And the reporter was like, look, you just testified on closed circuit television. Like, <laughs> and I can't use your last name in the newspaper. Like she was confused. And, uh, rightfully she was confused. And, and, and I was confused. And, and, uh, you know, and, and so the article comes out and it's like, you know, um, you know, Greg W, you know, or whatever, like, it's like the third line of the article, Greg W didn't want to disclose his last name, you know, and it was a good story about a young person who got into recovery and, and was telling his story. And so um, Donna calls me up and she, you know, she said, you know, what, what do I read in, in that line about Greg W didn't want to disclose his last name? And, and, and I said, well, that I'm ashamed. And, and she said, well, if I don't understand the principles of of anonymity or, or why, or, or why you wouldn't use your last name in the newspaper. Um, is, are you telling, are you telling your story? Cause you're ashamed. And I said, no, I want other people to know that, that this is possible. And, and you know, she pointed out that everybody else uses their last name in the newspaper. <laughs> and, uh, um, and, and ultimately, um, She's, and I and I started to really explain to her, well, like Google and I'm going into the media world and I'm in college and, you know, like I don't want to be Googled and blah, blah, blah. And and, uh, and she said, well, I, I hear that, you know, mm -hmm. I do. Mm -hmm. um, but what she said next changed my life. And it was, if your recovery is one of the most important things to you and somebody in your life is going to close a door to you because of your recovery and your past, that's a door you never wanted open in the first place. Mm. Mm -hmm. And, and that, I mean, that's powerful. Know, yeah. Greg, I never heard that story before, man. I never did. Gotta, gotta I have save to. some exclusive nuggets for you. <laughs> I mean, similar stories. That's so great. And, and her, her wisdom that, Greg, the general public isn't going to understand the nuances of anonymity traditions and 12-step culture. And, and that what you're actually doing is you think you're doing a great thing. They're going to see it as shame. Is there shame? And the anonymous people really covers this uh, pretty well. Um, you know, Bill White's quote in that, you know, it, it, it folks are ashamed and, uh, but from that same story, I do remember his telling me that it, it, it was um, it was he was ashamed. Uh, he came home from a recovery rally wearing a recovery T-shirt and Rita said, hey, can you run out to the grocery store and get something? He's like running to change his T-shirt. And he's like, why am I changing my T-shirt? You know, and yeah, you know, like when when we're <laughs> surrounded by thousands in recovery uh we're, we're we're comfortable but when it's us alone you know um the insidiousness yeah. of, of that stigma but y'all really yeah what i really realized is, i mean it's i wasn't ashamed but but society is ashamed of me and, yes. and that gets under your skin so the societal shame yeah um gets deep and and that was the biggest piece of of that film and tipping the pain scale it's like you know like you know, people, people don't like talking about shame. And, uh, but if, if we want to talk about recovery, we got to walk through shame and, and we got to talk about shame, you know, and, and if we want to change policy or we want to change um, systems, uh, a lot of it has to do with, with, um, with shame.
Indeed. Indeed. Wow. It's complicated, but we got our work cut out for us. Hey, um, can you talk about uh, tipping the pain scale? Because I'm I'm hoping putting this out, um, it's really rolling out with with screenings right now and, and probably taking some of the same course of being accessible to so many communities to utilize as a, an organizing tool. What, what's going on with tipping the pain scale? Yeah, so this is a, a feature film um, about six different characters uh, from different walks of life who kind of come together um, to, to resolve some of the community issues around addiction in their own communities in very different ways. So we've got um, people like Lauren Davis, who's a state legislature, out, a state representative out in Washington state, uh, who, who passed some laws around, uh, you know, access to treatment. The NFL football pro bowler, Darren Wallers in the movie, who's telling his story at a, at a different platform. It's been rare for the recovery community to have somebody who's a prof- an active professional athlete. Uh, Joseph Green is a, um, a motivational uh, speaker and educator mm-hmm. uh, who works with young people kind of in the early intervention phase. And we got to follow him in, into the schools and see the work that he does. Um, Marty Walsh, who's now the secretary of labor. When we started filming, he was the mayor of Boston. Uh, Josh De La Rosa is also a, a, a officer, De La Rosa in, in, in Boston. And we follow him kind of doing outreach work and, and Roz Picardo, who's doing street outreach work in, in the streets of Kensington, Philadelphia. Um, and all these individuals kind of are affecting change at different layers and different societies. And, and you said it, you know, everybody always wants like, what's the answer to addiction? What's the answer to, you know, a hundred thousand people died in the last 12 months, like solve it, you know? And it's like, well, let's just legalize everything or let's just do that. And people like look for these soundbite answers to a very complex issue and a very nuanced issue. And so the format of feature documentary really allows for us to, to get into the nuances and get into the layers of, of change. And so the film is a anthology that weaves together the different layers of change, the different, sides of the coin um, of people doing things that you've probably never seen before um, and, and really incredible sensational things. So uh, we're really excited and, in, in, you know, how do we get at that, that underlying pain and, and really that community pain. And um, so the film, so tipping the pain scale.com, the film is um, just releasing now in uh, availability for organizations and communities to see it. Our hope is uh, as COVID subsides a little bit, people want to get people back together and, and bring people together. Um, so we'll be rolling it out throughout the, the course of the year um, in different communities. And, and uh, that's one thing that, that certainly um, I really appreciated with Anonymous People and Generation Found was it's one thing to sit in your, your room and watch a film uh, that motivates you and inspires you. It's another thing to sit with 100 other people um, and feel that same sense of camaraderie and energy. And I mean, that's how recovery schools have popped up in the country is, you know, a, a group of people who might have not known each other before, um, you know, watch a movie and then they yep. say, well, I, I'm passionate about this. I'm passionate. And then they form a board and an advisory and three yeah. years yeah. later, they're opening a school. And so um, that's, that's the kind of stuff that, that Jeff and I really like to do and, and tipping the pain scale is no different. Um, you know, albeit it's, it's an award-winning film. It's an incredible piece of entertainment. Um, Indeed. the best feature documentary editor in the country. Um, so 
I hope people will, will bring it to their communities. I intend to. I was fortunate enough to be at, at the, the premiere screening in, in uh, Las Vegas with you and um, in a group of people for that collective experience. And I, I remember all of us being deeply moved. I actually, this is too much information, but I actually cried and I don't cry very often at all. It's very, it's ugly. And, but therapeutic. And I left with the sensation of, of this is right on time. This is right on time. And, and you're telling me about how it's dealing with the, the complexity of multi-level change and solving these tremendous problems that we have. Um, that's got me excited. So it's time for this film. Groovy. Thanks so yeah, much. Well, I appreciate that. And, yeah. and uh, it's yeah, I mean, it's Bill White. Bill White said this all the time, you know, and this is why I get to to continue. This is, you know, he's like, I could show you all the pictures of the brain. I could show you all the data. I could show you all the stats. Uh, you're not going to change what you believe about this issue or what you believe about other people you know, until you know somebody close to you. And, and it's and it's like this old saying of going through the heart to get to the head. We have all the data. We have all the science. But, you know, somehow we got to penetrate people's hearts. So yeah. this, this medium, you know, hopefully uh, helps people like you and other change agents in their communities uh, penetrate more hearts, um, you know, to, to want to do stuff. Cause this, this, this certainly takes a village and, and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the change needs to happen on the local level too. You know, we, we always look at our president or this or that to, to fix this. And, and this is, this is a community by community yep. um, challenge to fix. Indeed. Indeed. Penetrating hearts. I love it. I love it. Hey, listen, we also talk about, cause you know, this is this, this podcast also raises the profile of many pathways of recovery, diverse faces and voices. One thing I always try to put forward is that, um, you know, recovery is, isn't a, a, a daily trudge through a veil of tears. It's, it's joyful and we have fun. And um, what do you, what do you do for you? What do you do for kicks? What do you do for self-care or whatever? Yeah, I, I, um, yeah, definitely a big sports fan. So I watch a lot of sports, um, you know, but uh, so that's one thing I used to play a lot of sports myself uh, and I had little ones. So, so now asking me that question, um, you know, often involves, you know, puzzles and Legos and, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, those kinds of things. Yep. Um, you know, I have an eight-year-old, a, a six-year-old and a, and a three-year-old. So my days are, are pretty full. Um, so I don't get enough self-care as, as I want to, but I still really do enjoy um, recovery support meetings and, um, you know, trying to be of service where I can. And, and uh, um, you know, but, but certainly uh, as my kids are young, it's, it's, it's a lot in the house and, and being there. Um, I remember. It fills the cup. Yeah. It fills the cup. You're a family man, Greg, <laughs> family man. And I, and I know that your work and, and your uh, creative work uh, 
is likely also part of your joy and part of your self-care. It's one thing I've discovered the older I get and the more uh, integrated my life comes and the less compartmented it is. But um, I like your mentioning that you, you still um, commune with your fellows and that that's part of it. And, and, and I do that as well. And that, yeah. that's, that's my special time with my people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and yeah. And, and, and yeah, I mean, like, and you said it, you know, in terms of what, what really, you know, this independent documentary stuff doesn't necessarily, you know, pay any bills or anything like that. But like when you can tell somebody's story um, in a way that helps other people cry and feel them, um, there's nothing that I've ever experienced in my life that, that, that is more rewarding than that. You know, and you take marginalized individuals and and you give them a bigger voice or you give them a platform. It's not even giving them, but it's they allow you to to capture their voice and capture their platform. But um, you're able to share it with a broader community than might have never heard their story before. Sounds super rewarding, and yeah. uh, I hope more folks tell you how you penetrated their heart, you know, cause I imagine that that's, that's, that's part of your salary. And uh, so I, I, I'm, I'm sure you're getting plenty of that. Um, I always like to hear, man, <laughs> man, this changed me. <laughs> that's my favorite feedback for anything. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's uh, uh, and, and what you're doing with this podcast, I mean, it's, it is, there's no, there's no more rewarding. It was, yeah. um, I think there was a, a, a woman who I now call a friend. Uh, I think it was Rachel Goss wrote something uh, that I hung on to. And she, you know, um, it was, you know, recovery changed my life. Yeah. You know, this film changed my recovery. Mm. You know, and it's <sighs> like, that's, you know, yeah. that, that, that gets at what, what this is about, right? Is, is you know, this medium is, is a special medium that the, the, you know, we are auditory visual human beings and uh, what we can do with, with words and uh, pictures and all of that, you know, still doesn't be getting together in person, but um, next best thing. Next best thing. (laughs) Yes, indeed. Well, Greg, um, we always finish. I keep saying we, and, and I always feel like a knucklehead when I say we, it's just me. <laughs> you're, you're the producer, the, 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 the talent, the producer, you're everything. I can relate. We always finish with, you have multiple, we you have hear multiple, it. No, thanks. But yes. Role, uh, of this production. We, we always finish with, uh, with a, a message. And uh, uh, do you, do you have a message uh, for listeners? Um, yeah, I, you know, share something with somebody uh, today that um, you've been meaning to share, and you mm. have. Right on. Share something with someone today you've been meaning to share. Don't hold on to it. Cool. I dig it. Well, great. I know you got plenty of work to do. I know I do too. And so I hope to see you again real soon, maybe down my neck of the woods, your neck of the woods. 
something. <laughs> yeah. I, well, I, I, I'm, I think I'm headed your way soon. So we'll, we'll, uh, we'll link up and I'd love to have a, a meal and catch up. I really appreciate this. And, and thanks for the conversation and dialogue. This was, this will be the highlight of my day today. Oh, far out. <laughs> appreciate, appreciate some time to, you know, um, reflect and uh, yeah. to have some fun. All right, buddy. Let me hit it.